Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It is my great privilege to welcome to Talk Nation Radio Elizabeth Murray, who has served as Deputy National Intelligence Officer for the Near East in the National Intelligence Council, the NIC of the United States, before retiring in 2010 after a 27-year career with the Central Intelligence Agency, the CIA. She was a political analyst focusing on various Middle Eastern countries and also served as an editor and media analyst for the U.S. government's Open Source Center, OSC, now known as the Open Source Enterprise. She is conversant in German, Arabic, and Spanish, a member of Veteran Intelligence Professionals for Sanity and the Sam Adams Associates for Integrity in Intelligence. Elizabeth currently serves as member in residence of the Ground Zero Center for Nonviolent Action, which is located near Seattle, Washington. Elizabeth Murray, welcome back to Talk Nation Radio. Good to be with you again, David. Thanks for coming back on. You were recently a member of a panel put together in Brussels by the Courage Foundation. Tell us about that. Yes. Um, so um, the Courage Foundation um, invited um, a small group of international people. There was, um, I think, myself and Richard Falk were the only two Americans. There were uh, people from um, Germany and, and uh, Britain and other countries involved. Um, we gathered in Brussels on October the 15th to listen to the testimony of uh, a still anonymous whistleblower from the Organization for the Prevention of Chemical Weapons. And this individual is uh, a senior scientist um, who was involved in the investigation of the alleged uh, chemical weapons or the purported chemical attack in Douma, Syria, um, in April of 2018. I believe it was April 7th, 2018. And he had some very uh, compelling concerns about the final report on this incident that was issued by the OPCW. And um, I, that's why I'm here to, to talk to you about what we heard and what he um, spoke about in his testimony that, um, you know, made it very clear to um, those of us there. We, we issued a statement after discussing um, his testimony afterward uh, where there were, there were definitely um, irregularities and grave omissions, omissions, <laughs> not emissions, omissions in the uh, final report that was issued on this event. So um, it's it's quite a serious matter that we're talking about here. And and this was quite a serious panel. Uh, in addition to your very relevant qualifications, there was a, a gentleman, a former ambassador from Brazil, who was the first director general of the OPCW and was now a member of, of this panel. Uh, and uh, a, a man who uh, is a board member of the International Physicians for the Prevention of Nuclear War uh, and numerous other uh, very qualified individuals to review this information, right? Indeed, yes, I would say so. Um, and and the, the conclusions, as I've seen it described, uh, there was key information about chemical analyses, toxicology consultations, ballistic studies, and witness testimony that were suppressed. 
This is, this is what you were told, that all of this relevant information was suppressed when the OPCW put out its report. Um, yes, and, you know, and I must say up front that this individual um, who came forward with this information, who wanted his name um, not, not publicized, he went by the pseudonym of Alex, um, he definitely um, came forward with this information in a very scientific matter and very objective. That is to say, um, he does not want to attack or condemn the OPCW. He simply wants um, to um, to have transparency, to have um, the scientists whose reports were excluded from the, the final OPC findings. To, they, they just want a chance to um, air their findings, to make them public um, at, the, uh, at the upcoming OPCW conference, which is in late November. Um, I believe it's called the, um, state, this is the State Planning Parties or, or something to that effect. Um, in any case, uh, there's an annual OPCW uh, conference that convenes every year. Um, I believe it's the 25th of November. I, I, I should have Googled it. But in any case, all they want to do is, is to be able to um, make these findings known and to have the right of dissent. And I learned some very interesting things about um, the fact-finding mission, which is the group that this whistleblower was involved with that went directly to Syria to investigate. Um, the fact-finding mission reports don't have uh, an opportunity to be reviewed by the rest of the OPCW. There's no peer review those assessments go unchallenged, and that's unusual because um, the Chemical Weapons Convention specifically provides for, um, you know, dissent, dissenting re uh, reports of the OPCW to be aired, to be included in reports, but the fact-finding mission, which is the small subgroup that went to investigate, they are excluded from this protocol. And so one of the things that Alex is demanding and is requesting, and in fact, there's another senior scientist um, whose name is public, Ian Henderson. He's um, the scientist who leaked the um, engineering report um, six months ago in May when um, when it was clear that, that it was not going to be included. Um, they, just, they just want the chance to air these facts and make sure that um, the public understands what the real findings are, and, and that, in fact, the findings cast serious doubts on whether, in fact, um, any toxic chlorine-type weapon was, was actually used. And so some of the inspectors that were part of this fact-finding uh, work for the, for the OPCW, for the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons, uh, their findings were excluded from the report, and they themselves are not permitted to, to show up and, and report what they, what they learned at the upcoming meeting. Is that, is that accurate? That's accurate, yeah. And, you know, it's, um, it's weird because the... Um, the final report, you know, used really, I would almost say, you know, super vague wording or even what you would call weasel words. Um, they simply concluded that, that there were, you know, quote, reasonable grounds to indicate that, you know, chemical agents were used. Um, but it was a very arbitrary decision alleging that, that chlorine gas was used. Um, 
we learned that many, many chlorinated chemicals um, are present in the background environment. And the stra- I mean, the strangest thing of all was that, you know, the, the final report talked about how, um, you know, there were, there were levels of, of chlorinated compounds, but they didn't specify what the levels were, even though this data was present. And in fact, um, we were, we were um, privy to, to learning <laughs> what the indicators um, of these levels were, and they were the same level of compounds, and I, and I, can, I can even tell you what they were. Um, it's called dichloroacetic acid, trichloroacetic acid, and chloral hydrate. All of these compounds are present in items such as drinking water or coffee at some level. And in fact, the levels that were um, measured by these senior scientists were no higher than the levels that are present in, say, coffee or drinking water. And there were other um, chemicals such as trichlorophenol, which is used as a wood preservative, a pesticide, a fungicide, and a glue preservative, <laughs> and boronyl chloride, which is used in turpentine. But these were cited as, you know, chemical weapons that were used in an attack. And again, there was no quantitative data included in the final report. And indeed, the scientists who were responsible, who actually were on the ground in Syria, the scientists who, who collected and analyzed and painstakingly made these quantitative analysis, they were excluded from the drafting of the final report. They were not allowed to see. In fact, they didn't even know what was in the report until it was published. And do you have any knowledge of of what uh, subgroups or individuals within the OPCW uh, were responsible for what uh, sounds like a, a cover up and a distortion uh, and and possible motivations for it? Well, the you know the only the, uh, understandably I suppose may, um, the the. Um, the senior scientist who, who briefed us did not want to name names or anything, but um, again, he, he did say that the fact-finding mission, of, which is a subgroup of the OPCW, reports directly to the chief of cabinet, which is a senior leadership position, and then he takes these documents, does whatever he wants to them. There's no peer review. They, they can make unilateral changes and then they send it to the OPCW Director General. So, again, uh, there's no peer review. There doesn't seem to be any chance for any of these assessments to go unchallenged. It goes straight to the leadership. So one could draw relevant conclusions from that, I assume. I assume so. We're speaking with Elizabeth Murray, who was part of a panel uh, looking into the the report from the upper, from the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons on the the April seventh, two thousand eighteen uh, alleged chemical weapons use in Syria. Uh, what? What was the, you know, this is, this is one of a number of these allegations over the years now, uh, and there have been various uh, disastrous results and risk of, of much more disastrous results when these claims have been made. What, what happened uh, when this particular allegation was made? What, what was the outcome, and, and what might it have been? 
Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a very interesting um, question. I mean, the, the timeline was sort of, you know, April 7th, there, there's an alleged or purported chemical attack in Duma. You know, we still don't really know what it is. Um, um, April 14th is the day the United States conducts airstrikes. This is before, well before any kind of investigation took place on the ground. Um, these airstrikes were committed with the um, uh, participation of Britain and France. Um, people died. People were gravely wounded. This was a serious airstrike. Um, the investigation didn't actually begin until May the 31st. On July the 6th of, the, of 2018, there was an interim report um, and uh, the whistleblower alleges that the interim report was was also fudged. It was there were no conclusions included. It was only focused on the process that um, the OPCW underwent um, to investigate this. It it shied away from um, talking about um, what specifically was found. I mean there there. There, there was no specific discussion of the results of the analyses that had taken place, um, and I guess it it did say that there were no um, organophosphorus nerve agents or their degradation products detected, um, even though it was you know an interim report. Um, so um, they, I think they just kind of held back. Um, and they wanted to to wait um, for the final report. I must say also that there was there was in the briefing that we received there was a lot of, of firsthand evidence that he provided. In other words, we saw we saw emails that were slightly redacted. Many names were removed, but there was a specific reference to a need to <laughs> to 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 make the report something that would make the politicians happy, and that was a real red flag to, to those of us who wow. were sitting there in the room. Um, These being was, which politicians? Yeah, exactly. It wasn't, it, it, there, there, was, there was nothing specific. It was the, a reference to the politicians, but um, <laughs> still, still very questionable. But, you know, the, the problematic things in all of this was we were told that um, once, once the inspectors arrived on the ground, and again, this individual was, um, even though he wasn't on the, well, he, well, yes, he was there in country, um, but he said that by the time they got there, for example, the, 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 there were about 43 people that were alleged to have died, but they had all been buried. They had long been buried. Apparently, they were buried the same day in a mass grave, and you have to ask, you know, why were they all buried in a mass grave? Is that something consistent with local custom? Would would not families want to give their loved ones a decent burial in a a, a grave, a regular cemetery? Um, There's no just, question of contagion. Strange. It's not a question of contagion risk or something, right? It's well. You know, it's, it, you just don't, you just don't know, but it just seems very strange. And so they were not actually able to um, examine, you know, the cause of death. All they were able to do was talk to um, witnesses 
And the witnesses, you know, who who spoke out, uh, you know, said that, and, and some of the witnesses were like hospital staff, and they talked about foaming at the mouth, excess salivation, and this scientist noted right away that those symptoms are not consistent with chlorine poisoning, um, and that some of the hospital fat, uh, staff said that many of the people actually died from suffocation from dust and rubble because there had been heavy shelling that day. Um, and other hospital staff talked about how um, some of the people coming into the hospital just suddenly, out of nowhere, started shouting, chemical, chemical. Um, and then all of a sudden there were people rushing in, dousing children with water, giving them inhalers, and um, generating a sense of panic in the hospital. And yet there wasn't, it wasn't clear that there was... Um, that it wasn't clear to anyone that these 43 people died from chlorine poisoning. And the scientist noted also, um, and I should have Googled the date, but he said that in South Carolina a few years ago, there was a train uh, wreck in which a train spilled a very large amount of chlorine gas and chlorine chemicals. And he said that in that train wreck, which I guess happened near a population center, only eight to nine people um, were killed as a result. Yeah. Um, even though that many, to- many, many times as much chlorine gas was there than was detected at Duma, um, huh. and there there were just a lot of of strange things. And and again, you know, these inspectors, all they're asking for is transparency. The, they want to be challenged. They don't want their analysis to go unquestioned. They actually want to be able to answer questions. And they, they've been denied that opportunity. Um, and they also mentioned that some of the people that were interviewed were referred to in the final report as civil defense people, when in fact he said this was a reference to the White Helmets, um, an organization that has um, really been discredited because of their jihadist connections, even though there's some media that persist in legitimizing them. Um, but this scientist observed that, you know, it would be very problematic if these uh, discredited first responders, i.e. Uh, the white helmets, if they were to be in on some kind of fabricated event. And he did make reference to the possibility that this could be a fabricated event. Um, and the OPCW uh, apparently just outright dismissed that possibility. Um, but there's still a lot of questions about what caused the death of these 43 people, and there's really no conclusive evidence to show that it was because of chemical weapons. And, and so if, if Alex, to use the pseudonym of this whistleblower, wants transparency, what is his reason for not publicly uh, stating his name and making the information public? What is, what is he worried about? Um, I think he's worried about sort of... Um, basic things like being, being able to remain employed where he is, being able to continue to, to look after his loved ones. Um, I think he's, um, I mean, he, he came forward to us, but he still was, um, I mean, you could tell he was a reluctant whistleblower. And he, was, he, he did not want, it's sort of, it was sort of um, contradictory. He wanted this information to come out, but he clearly did not want to do damage or harm to people in the organization, it was almost as if, at the same time as you know, publicizing it to us, um, he 
he wanted to protect the organization. He he repeated over and over again that you know there are many many people of high integrity that that work there. That lots of you know the people that work there. You know he respects very highly. They have um, you know wonderful uh, qualifications. Um, the organization employed a high reputation. They um, won the Nobel Peace Prize in 2013, and it was also clear that he tried to rectify these issues internally. Um, he wanted dialogue with the leadership, and evidently that didn't happen. He was rebuffed, and so this was sort of this is sort of like a, a last. Um, but we did. I mean, some of us did request that some of the, the documentation he provided uh, be given to us, but he was reluctant, and it's still not clear when this um, this documentation is going to be released. Um, but I suspect at some point it will be, David. And uh, the. The story that appears to be what's happened now, without being being certain that this organization ginned up a phony report to please politicians who wanted a war, and in fact resulted in uh, airstrikes, that is, blowing people up, uh, men, women, and children, uh, that doesn't fit very well with the label Nobel Peace Laureate. Uh, I mean, uh, ought, ought, ought an organization, if it has done such a thing, to, to keep such a prize? Indeed, you know, and, and I agree with you. I think that this organization needs to accept responsibility. Um, you know, it, there are several journalists, as a matter of fact, uh, Stefania Maurizi from um, La Repubblica, the Italian uh, journalist, and uh, a few British journalists have gone directly to the OPCW in, in light of our panel's um, statements um, and asked it to respond, and there's just been silence. So I think it is on the OPCW now uh, to come forward. It, it's, it's, it's got to take responsibility if it wants to salvage its reputation. And you're right, this is certainly not um, behavior um, commensurate with um, the Nobel Peace Prize, you know, and indeed, I think you you made reference earlier to Dr. Bustani, who was forced out um, in 2002 in a, in a very political act. Um, he was he was someone who would actually he was the first um, director general of the OPCW, a highly respected individual, um, forced out by John Bolton, um, ostensibly due to. Poor management practices, but if you if you look closely at um, what's out there in in um, in terms of his own statements and and what people in the OPCW said, um, he w- he was in the middle of, of negotiating with Saddam Hussein in 2002 to join the Chemical Weapons Convention, and this was um, actually creating an obstacle for the United States campaign. Um, to get the international community on board for a war with Iraq, um, because they were saying that 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 Saddam was dragging his heels on, um, um, you know, show, showing that that uh, he had no chemical stockpiles, and in fact, Saddam had had been saying that there were no chemical weapons, and this turned out to be true, as we all know, there were no weapons of mass destruction found, um, and and if Dr. Bustani's efforts had succeeded. And Iraq had indeed become a member of the OPCW and the chemical weapons condition. That might have prevented um, uh, a good rationale for for the war on Iraq, which was launched, as you know, in March of 2003. Um, so this individual was forced 
to resign under very questionable circumstances. Well, what do you make, Elizabeth Murray, of the corporate media's handling of this type of story? Uh, that is to say, reporting every allegation of chemical weapons use as a near certainty, uh, not reporting much about any doubts or evidence to the contrary, and treating the use of chemical weapons uh, as grounds for the use of other weapons. Uh, I mean, if if these people died, as you suggested, from heavy shelling, then that was perfectly acceptable. But if they had died from chemical weapons, then that would be reason, legal, moral, practical, whatever, reason to, to kill many times that number of people with more heavy shelling, that is, with acceptable uh, deadly weapons. How, how are we to make sense of this? Yeah, this is a, a very grave issue that, that you raise because, you know, as you just said, I mean, the mainstream media have been absolutely silent on um, the, the panel's findings and indeed on any challenges, and, and there have been many that have come out um, challenging the OPCW's final report. Um, and it's very grave because it suggests um, it, it, it is indeed complicity with um you know the, the the governments, including our own, and 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 the, our our allies, our Western allies like France and Britain, and um, uh, some of the Gulf states as well, that continue um, to toe this line um, of of um, Syrian use of chemical weapons when there's in fact compelling evidence to the contrary. Um, the media is, is then indeed complicit in these war crimes. Uh, the media is uh, is under obligation to uh, report evidence if it really is, if they really are um, intent on practicing true journalism. But um, you know, look look what we have. We have people like uh, Chelsea Manning um, and Julian Assange in jail. Um, Chelsea Manning revealed a lot of interesting information, uh, in fact, about um, um, a former OPCW director. Uh, who was um, speaking behind the scenes with Israeli officials and who was talking talking as if he was questioning um, what the U.S. was saying. Um, Robert Perry actually wrote some articles about this in Consortium News, and I'm, I'm trying to remember what year he wrote this, and I think it was back in 2017 when there were some other um, um, allegations against uh, Syria, I believe, um, in Khan Sheikhoun. I mean, this was basically... Um, another incident from the same uh, playbook. But, you know, it's really a sad commentary on, um, you know, the public's right to know when only alternative media sources like Consortium News, like your radio station, like, um, uh, well, you know, just, the, you know, social media in general, That's that. those are the only places where we're hearing these dissenting voices. And, you know, what that tells me is, is that, you know, since the public largely relies on mainstream media um, to understand what's going on in the world, that, that you know, our public is being fed, um, you know, these incredible lies, and, um, you know, it manufactures consent for more wars. Um, you, you know, you know this, you've written many books on this, these subjects, uh, David, so you probably are, are, can say more about that than I can. 
Well, that's been very well said, and I wish we could say more, but have run out of minutes. Uh, I do hope that people uh, learn from your panel and gain some skepticism about these claims, as well as the comprehension that even if the claims were true, it would not justify a war. Uh, We've been speaking with Elizabeth Murray. We'll have links up to relevant information at talknationradio.org. Elizabeth, thank you very, very much for what you're doing and for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Thank you, David. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.